Tonight we're talking about um, kindness, actually. And I've been the recipient of quite a lot of kindness recently, because as some of, uh, some of you know who get the prayer mail, um, my mother-in-law, Susan Mears, was on the prayer mail quite regularly over the last few weeks because we suddenly um, had the awful news that she had developed pneumonia and sepsis and was in ITU. And um, my husband, James, had to go in and basically say goodbye to her just in case anything happened because pneumonia is a serious business, as some of you know. And um, in she went, and um, she was fully sedated, and she was, you know, had all sorts of apparatus helping her breathe, and we were suddenly in the emergency mode as a family. Um, but lots of you lovely people and in the Trinity community just got praying, and um, it's been absolutely fantastic what has happened with her. Um, initially, she was um, sort of um, taken out off sedation, and it was a really traumatic experience, actually. She had sort of the breathing tube removed, and um, she was in a whole load of pain and a whole load of trauma. And it was so awful um, for everyone, especially for her, that um, actually it turned out that, she, that that had happened too soon, and they needed to put her back under sedation. So when it came round for that to happen again, for her to be taken off sedation again, I was really terrified about sort of pain and the trauma it was going to cause her the second time. And um, what I'd started was a little WhatsApp group with some girlfriends of mine. And I said, look, I really need your prayer cover. I'm really struggling with um, coping with this. It's really, um, it's really tough for the family. But I'd really love you to be praying and praying for Susan to come through. So I asked them that very morning when, when I, we got the news that she was going to be taken off sedation again and the breathing tube was going to be removed with her fully conscious. Um, I said, girls, please, can you pray? It was absolute hell on earth last time. Please pray. And one of the girls had a picture of heaven opening, heaven opening over the hospital bed. And, um, you know, you probably heard about thin places. A thin place is something we talk about sometimes in the kingdom where heaven touches earth. We've sung about it tonight. A place where you can really sense heaven, a bit like in the testimonies, you know, that time when you feel the power of the Holy Spirit just flowing through you. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. As um, myself, myself and my stepfather, um, James' stepfather, stood and, 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 and watched this take place before our eyes, um, there was absolute peace, heaven absolutely rained. And um, it was just like heaven was coming down. And not even a murmur came from her lips. She was absolutely eyes fixed on Jesus, completely at peace. And the nurses were absolutely astonished at what had just taken place. But when I picked up my phone to let my WhatsApp group know, I just had this big string of messages um, in response to me saying, it's going to happen now, can you pray? Nine, nine of them had put on it, praying right now, with you, praying, 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 praying. I just knew that that heaven-touching earth moment had come because of the kindness, because of the unity of those friends standing with me. So um, as Alistair said, you know, praying out loud, praying out loud together, asking each other to cover us in prayer, not being quiet about those things we're struggling with, kindness. So that recipient of kindness... <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but I'm just sensing that there's, um, some, some of us are going through some difficulties at the moment. We're just feeling a little bit hard-pressed, or maybe a lot hard-pressed. And I've been encouraged by the example of uh, this guy, uh, Stephen. And Stephen, um, we hear in Acts chapter 6, 
was a man full of God's grace and power. And uh, he performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. I think there's a picture of him, or a, an artist's impression anyway, of what he looked like coming up now. Now, this guy has got a halo around his face. I'm sorry, Mike. And he's got a halo around his face because... Thanks, Jamie, that's great. Um, he's got a halo around his face because um, it says that he, he, his face was like the face of an angel. And his face, we've got to remember that his face was like a face of an angel, not at a moment when he was you know, blossoming or on his wedding day or everything was going rosily. His face was like the face of an angel when he was being lied about, insulted, dragged outside into the town and stoned to death. Now, I don't think that my face would be like the face of an angel, particularly at that moment. I don't know about you, but um, this guy had kindness that was completely consistent. He was a guy that just couldn't help but let the Lord, the love of God, the kindness of God, the truth of God just flow through him, even at those moments when things were really tough. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees, it says, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Now we've heard that before, haven't we? We've heard that in the example of Jesus. But how was he able to follow so nearly the example of Jesus? It says in James, As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, if we don't live out what we believe consistently, then our faith doesn't, isn't worth anything in the eyes of the world. And tonight we're looking at the book of Titus. The theme of Titus is the inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. Let's look at that passage now. I just really encourage you uh, to take out your Bible on your phone, or I'd all, I just really encourage you to bring your Bible with you to church or to grab one of the ones at the front here. Uh, annotate as you go through. It's not sacrilegious to write in your Bible. I'm constantly underlining and scoring and making it my own. I encourage you to do that um, and make a note. So Titus 3, 1 to 8. Remind them, the followers of Jesus, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable. For people. Okay, so the first point of my talk tonight is this. By nature, we are inconsistent in what we believe and what we do. That's according to verse 3. <clears throat> 
Titus is a book written from Paul to Titus, who was kind of the head of some churches on an island called Crete. And uh, I don't know whether any of you know Crete. Um, it's a beautiful place. Has anyone been to Crete on holiday or anything like that? A few of you? Brilliant. Well, at the time, it was known throughout the world for its immorality. It was known as being a place um, that, uh, where people didn't care about authority, according to Paul. And people who were empty, it was full of, he said, people who were empty talkers and deceivers. Now, I've got a couple of Greek friends, and they're amazing, wonderful women. So this is in no way an indictment of Greeks at all. But at the time, Greece had that reputation. I mean, Cicero said that the morality of Cretans was so divergent, they might consider highway robbery honourable. So that's a pretty, um, a pretty in, uh, uh, tough indictment, really, to, to take. And Paul actually says, this is the words of Paul in verse 12 of chapter 1. Their reputation, he says, as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons among their own people is a justified one. So that was the kind of context of the Cretans at the time. And uh, we were there in October, actually, last, last, uh, last year in October. And I was reading a really good book. I like to read, when I go on holiday, I like to read a book about the place I'm going to. And I read a book called Postcards from an Island. And it was brilliant. But it made this observation about Greece. It said that there was an earth-shattering beauty alongside a total shabbiness. So it might be a bit like this picture. You sort of see the contrasts. And again, um, girlfriends of mine who... I've got two Greek girlfriends who have confirmed that this is the case. This is what you see in Greece. You see these amazing, breathtaking scenes alongside a ruin of some sort or a sort of half-built apartment block with all sorts of steel sticking out. And um, it's just the way that, that Crete, Crete is, or it's the way that Greece can be. Uh, there's a dichotomy as well of life and death. So everywhere you go, you see amazing life and fruit and vineyards and oranges and limes, but then you also see lots and lots of shrines along the road massive sort of involved shrines reminding you constantly that people have died along this road. They have no problem with that life and death dichotomy. And, um, but is it just true of Greece? Or is it true of us as well? Are we any different? Or do we have exactly the same level of inconsistency about us? Where is the dichotomy in our lives, particularly in the area of showing kindness? I don't know about you, but I wonder whether... You might be a person who's quick to offer help, but you're slow to follow through on that help, perhaps. I know that can, I can be like that sometimes. Perhaps you're quick to sing worship songs, but you're slow to forgive someone who's offended you, perhaps. Or maybe you're good at spending time with God every day, but slow to offer help in practical ministry. You know, at church like Trinity, we really need everybody to do something. We need everyone to be on the coffee rater or serving on a team of some sort, but doing something where we're serving others. And, um, or maybe, um, and I'm going to share with you my, one of my particular inconsistencies, you're good at speaking courteously to everyone except cold callers. <laughs> I've had some awful moments, I have to say with cold callers, when someone has rung me out of the blue and I've got you know, a baby that needs feeding or something like that, and uh, they, said, they started to say their spiel, and I've cottoned on to who they are. And I, I've said something like this, uh, what's your name? Oh, hi, hello, Kieran. Well, I'm extremely sad for you. I'm sad for you that you have to do a job like this, and I'm going to pray that you get a different job, okay? Thank you, bless you, bye. <laughs> 
And the, I, had, you know, I might have a friend around at the time who kind of looks at me like, oh, weird, you know, it's really not consistent with your faith at all. I don't want to do that. Do you know what I'd really like to do? I'd really like to actually want to bless that person. Actually, next time someone rings, I'd be able to say, Kieran, you know, I'm really not interested in what you're trying to offer me today, but can I just pray a blessing on you? Wouldn't that be much kinder? Wouldn't that be much more effective? Faith apart from works is dead. And sadly, by that, James means consistent, consistent works, not just inconsistent things. We're saved by faith, but works is the proof of our faith. Works is the weight behind our words. Works is the weight behind our words. So what's the answer then? How can we develop a consistent faith like Stephen that can extend kindness to others even at the point when we're backed into a corner? Well, okay, should we just say that we should just do good things? Okay, should I just make a list of all the good things that I should do and just tick them off and try to do them every day? You know, there is some wisdom in that, isn't there? I've heard people say, let the physical lead. Your feelings will catch up. Start doing it and your feelings will catch up. Well, that can have some use and that can have some power and some discipline. But the most powerful source, according to this passage from Titus, is actually the gospel itself. It's actually Jesus' act itself, empowered by the Spirit. So my second point, the power to be consistent comes from the gospel. Look at verses 4 and 5. And let's just read those again. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared... He saved us. That word saved is equivalent to the word healed. When he saved, he healed us. He healed us from our own inconsistency, if you like. He saved us from it. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I remember being in a flat share when I was at university, and um, I had one flatmate, and um, we were all trying to do our finals at the time, and um, she was having a particularly bad week, and it was as if everything I did was wrong. Um, we didn't have a freezer. You know what these student houses are like? Some of you know what these student digs are like. We didn't have a freezer, and I'd bought some ice cream. I thought it'd be nice to save her a, a scoop, and I thought she wouldn't be, she wouldn't be in you know, before too long, so I just popped a scoop in the... I, I, I left the ice cream tub in the fridge for her, and I got told off for leaving ice cream that had melted in the fridge when I was trying to do a kind act. And the icing on the cake was when um, she backed her car into a car parking space in an underground car park and accidentally scraped, a pill- scraped the car with a pillar. And somehow it was my fault, because I was in the passenger seat at the time. And I just got so fed up. We got home, and I just went into my room. You know, it's like... You know, probably slammed the door and got my badminton racket out. I was like thwacking it on the bed. I was like, I'm really mad. I'm really angry. I wanted to go and give her a bit of a piece of my mind. I wanted to go and say, I just need to say this to you. But I felt the Lord just put his hand on my shoulder and I felt him say, just kneel down right now. Kneel down. Kneel down. And I want you just to open the book and read about what I did on the cross. Read about the cross. Now the cross. How do you feel about the cross? This is actually a hard topic for us in the charismatic church, isn't it? 
I mean, sometimes we want to just leave it to the Catholics. The Catholics have their crucifixes. They have Jesus' death on the cross. We have just a cross without the Jesus on it. We don't want to talk about the death. We want to talk about the, the resurrection. But listen to this from Richard Raw, who wrote a book called The Enneagram, which is quite popular at the moment. He says this about us. Charismatics often preach a theology of resurrection and glory, but they don't much want to hear about the theology of the cross. They prefer not looking at Jesus, the man of sorrows. Charismatics often seek a kind of redemption that takes a detour around suffering and dying. Um, I wore my jumper today as um, a bit of a uh, <laughs> charismatic sort of statement. This is us, isn't it? We love dancing. We like the resurrection. We like Easter Sunday. You know, we don't do loads and loads of stuff on Good Friday. We don't tend to have loads of meditations and, and dark things. We certainly don't flag, you know, flagellate ourselves like people have in the past to try to get some sort of sense of um, oneness with Jesus and his suffering. We're sunny characters generally, aren't we? We like to avoid pain um, and the unpleasantness of life. But it can have a flip side Richard Raw also claims that us charismatics often avoid social issues. We don't want to grapple with pain-filled issues and with a filthy society is another thing that has been levelled at us. I think we just want to take that seriously. Don't worry, it's not just us that he criticises. You know, it's not for the faint-hearted reading the Enneagram. You, know, you have to read it if you really want some critique that's going to help you grow, because he, he criticises every different type in order to try to um, get us all to grow and move on. But I think it is really worth looking at, isn't it? Do we avoid the cross? Um, William James makes this observation. He makes a sort of a contrast between once-born and twice-born believers. Twice-born believers, he says, go on trusting and believing, even though they have experienced pain and disappointment in their lives. Once-born believers maintain a childlike optimism, but have not lived through much pain. Are you a once-born believer or a twice-born believer? You know, Andrew, um, preaching last week, gave us that contrast that we see in Scripture between drinking milk and, drink and taking solid food. You know, are we still drinking the milk, really, of the resurrection and of the glory? But, you know, we really need to go back and taste the solid food of the cross as well as the resurrection. So... Back to my story, I, I'm kneeling by the bed, and I'm feeling angry, and I get my Bible open, and I read about how Jesus conducted himself in those last few days of his life, when he was really up against it. He set his face to Jerusalem. He said, we're going to Jerusalem, and that's where I'm going to die. You know, how many of us would have run the other way? He loved his friends even when he knew they were going to betray him and deny him. How many of us would have had a few choice remarks for those friends? He spoke truthfully and respectfully to those who interrogated him. How many of us would have fought tooth and nail for justice to be heard? He didn't say a word when he was mocked and beaten, spat on and ridiculed. How many of us would have justified a curse or two? Then on the cross, he prayed for the forgiveness of his captors and asked John to look after his mum so she wasn't without help and support in her old age. At every point in his life, 
death and risen life. He just loved others. He was just so kind. He gave constantly and again and again. But why did he do all of this? Well, verse 4 in the Titus passage says he did it not as an impersonal transaction. It wasn't just something that he did for his own impersonal glory, as has sometimes been preached. No, verse 4, he did it through the kindness and love, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour. God initiated the act of the cross through his goodness and loving kindness for us. Isn't that amazing? It was kindness that did it. And verse 5, he also gave us his Holy Spirit. Word and Spirit. They are the two things we need to be kind. You know, I've heard it explained as two batons. I mean, if you imagine that you're in a relay race and you've got a baton in each hand, the word is one baton and the spirit is the other. We must have both. We need both in equal measure in order to stay balanced. So if it's God's work, the word and the spirit, then should we just let go and let God? Not at all, as Paul would say, by no means. We work out what God has worked in. That's my third point. Verse 8, we work out what God has worked in. C.H. Spurgeon, who was a really um, amazing and anointed um, speaker and preacher in the 19th century, says this, God works it in, you work it out. You have to work out in the outward life what he works in, in the inner springs of your spiritual being. You know, the word work gives you a clue. It's not something we just sit back and let happen. We need to work at it. And in our passage, Titus 3 verse 8 says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What does Paul say to Titus there in verse 8? He says, insist on these things. There's an emphasis there, isn't there, on an urgency, on a ruthless application of these teachings. Now, Titus had a job as a leader of a cluster of churches, but should we be any less ruthless with ourselves? Insist on these things, Paul says. I can imagine him saying, insist on it in yourself. Discipline yourself so that you live these things out, so that you work out what he's worked in. Devote yourself. Be utterly committed. And in order to do that, I'd say we need to be intentional. We need to set goals in order to be utterly committed and to work it out. So we're just going to have some tips now for being kind. And these are just tips that I've gathered from the Word and from people I respect. So my first one is meditate on the cross daily. We're about to enter Lent. So Tuesday night, I hope you've got your pancake mix and I hope you've got your maple syrup and your lemons and things ready for Shrove Tuesday. And from Wednesday, we're in a period of, of 40 days. And it's just a great opportunity, really, to, um, to start to meditate. It's a, it's a time of thinking through. Meditate on the cross, especially if you felt that you were one of those people, those sunny people that like to fast forward to Easter Sunday. I'd encourage and invite you to walk through Lent, meditating on the cross. How might you do that? Well, you might want to have a worship song that talks about the cross. 
that you might want to play every day. You might say, I'm going to play that every day. I'm just going to kneel. I'm going to just listen. I'm going to think. I'm going to make myself think about what Jesus went through for me. Not to be morbid, but to give us motivation to be kind, to treat others in the same way. Number two, be quick to say sorry and forgive if offence has been given or taken. I was on Facebook the other day, and um, I discovered that um, a friend of mine, um, who my children are really good friends with, had had a party for their little boy, and my children hadn't been invited. Now, for a split second, guess what flared up in me? I felt really sad and really cross. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, because I'm sure that you're the same. I, I first, second, I had I, sort of opened her, I'd gone onto her, her page to, to write her a, a nice message about, you know, meeting, meeting up. I thought, I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> I'm going to stew on this a little bit. But, um, you know, I was preparing this talk. I thought, I can't be a hypocrite. And I just, the spirit said in me, no, that's not, we're going to override that. You know, as Christians, we have to do a lot of overriding, don't we? Being kind is working, isn't it? It's overriding the, compul- the compulsion to be inconsistent. And um, I got in touch with her just as I planned to do. And, and guess what? That very afternoon, she opened up about a whole heap of trouble that she was in, a whole heap of things that she was going through. And I was able to, to, to talk to her um, and to talk about God um, and to be there for her. And it was such, it was such a privilege and you know, the enemy targets particular relationships. And if you're experiencing difficulty in forgiving at the moment with a particular person or a particular dislike for a person or an irritation for a person, chances are God wants to be at work in their life through you. Number three, um, under promise, over deliver. It's one of my husband's favorite sayings. And we have to say it over and over again because it's so easy, isn't it, to say to people, I'll call you. Or, I'll be in touch, let's arrange this, or let me know if there's anything I can do. It's so easy, isn't it, to throw those, those things around. But actually, who of us can actually get down to the nitty-gritty? Promise less and deliver more. Um, with what I just explained earlier, um, we went through in the last three weeks, um, I had some really, really helpful friends who didn't just say, if there's anything I can do, let me do it. They said, I'm bringing you dinner on Tuesday. Or they said, I can have your kids on Monday morning between 10 and 12 if you need someone to cover them then. Be specific. If you want to offer help, I just encourage you, be specific. Say, these are things that I can do. I can't do everything. It's not right for you to offer any time because you probably can't live up to it. But if you can say, I'm free at these two times, can I, can I do, you know, let me do this, let me do that. Say so some specific people know you really mean it. Number four, show perfect courtesy to everyone. No exceptions whatsoever. That's really hard, isn't it? You know, if, you're, if you play sport, what about your opponents? Do you show perfect courtesy to them? Um, you know, I'm thinking again about the, the, the phone calls, you know, those cold calls. That's, that's the thing for me. What is it for you? Um, Gareth said this morning about smiling, you know, just offering a smile to people you see. Everyone. You can smile at everyone without fail. Number five, expect to do the lion's share. 
So as Christians, I think it's okay for us to do the lion's share. You know, for, you know if, you, if you're making coffee at work, just expect that you're going to make it more than others. Um, if you're tidying the house share, you know, expect that you'll, you'll probably do more than the others. I mean, it's okay to challenge courteously if you need to, but um, be prepared to do the most. Be prepared for rejection. Um, I help out a little bit. Um, I'm on the leadership team for the women's work that's in the midweek, Thursday morning. And we have an event we run once a month where we invite all of our friends, all of the, our neighbours, girlfriends from different churches, girlfriends who don't go to any church, come along, bring your children, put your children in the crash. Our volunteers will look after them, eat cake, have tea, have coffee, do these nice craft activities, do a free Pilates session. We just want to refresh you. This is our vision. It's called Refresh. And we say, come for an hour and a half, forget your worries, and be refreshed. And it's brilliant. But we have a lot of rejection. You know, we, we invite loads of people. And we have a mantra, invite five, one will come. Invite five people. That means four rejections and one acceptance. Do you know what? It's really worth it. Okay, we can sometimes be people who want to put our invitation directly to that one person we know for sure will say yes. We've really got to be like the farmer in the, um, in the, in the parable of the sower and scatter the seed everywhere because some will take, will take um, root and some will grow. Invite five, um, one will come. Number six, have a friend or two who you can be an accountable to for kindness. Um, Every so often, I go through a criticizing my husband fast, and I'd recommend it. <laughs> I think this is built up a bit, so I'm being a little bit critical at home, particularly about tidiness. And I think I feel like the host is saying, right, you need to have another nag fast again. So I've got a couple of friends, one of them's here, and I text them and I go, right, I'm on my fast again. They go, okay, we're in. And every so often they say, how's the fast going? Criticize James today? I have to answer truthfully. So I'd encourage you, if you know the Lord is just nagging you about an area of kindness tonight that uh, you need to just get right, get a couple of friends and get accountable. Number seven. It's been said before, I think it was Jordan saying, I'm not sure. He said, ruthlessly eliminate busyness. Don't be too busy. Um, a couple of months ago, Karis spoke at this evening celebration about... Um, Gleanings, leaving gleanings. I just love it. In the Old Testament, people who had a field would be um, commanded by God not to plough every single strip of the field, but to leave a big section around the outside where the poor could go and gather corn. And in the same way in our lives, and I think particularly in our, with our time, we need to leave some time spare. We need to leave a bit of money spare if we can. We need to leave... Time spare and money spare and all, all sorts of other ways spare, things spare, so that as things crop up, as people might need us, um, we can be interruptible. You know, I had this lovely morning. I'm not great at that, but I had this lovely morning. I went down to the green coffee machine um, by the railway station, and I was um, about three or four weeks ago, and I was just sort of starting to prepare for a talk I was doing, and I had my laptop, and I think I wrote about 30 words, because three different people that I knew came in 
and, and sat and we had a chat and I had uh, Bob Harding Williams who'd been in hospital came in and he came and sat with me and told me told me his testimony which I hadn't heard before which is amazing I had such a wonderful morning because I'd left the gleanings I didn't need that time it was time really for, for God to use in whatever way he liked I'd encourage you to do that it's great number eight so three more give to people who can't pay you back James, again, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, widows and orphans, people who are in need, who haven't got the means to pay you back, is what it means. We've been doing some hosting for um, a charity called Nightstop, based in Gloucester. And um, you have somebody, every so often, you have a young person that hasn't got anywhere to sleep for the night coming to stay in your home. And um, I, um, I was really sad, actually, at this, at this time um, for, for something else completely when, when we hosted this particular person I'm going to tell you about. And I was sad because um, I'm, I'm on an Open the Book team, which is Bible stories in a primary school. And um, one of the um, parents of a child in my, my son's class was really upset about there being Christian Bible stories at the school. It's not a church school. And he was really cross about it. And um, he decided he wanted to come in and sit in on an assembly to check that it was appropriate and that she wasn't being indoctrinated. And I had a really good conversation with him, actually, after the assembly. And he has let his daughter stay in assembly, which is great. But I felt so sad. I came home and I just said, Lord, you know, what is this world we're living in that calls good evil and evil good? I said, Lord, I'm, I'm up for planting seeds and not seeing the fruit. But I just really love to see someone come to know you. I'd just love to see some fruit grow soon. And I just left it with God. And just a few days later, we hosted this young person from Nightstop. And um, I'm going to call her Jenny. And um, the, these guys have got no way of paying you back. You know, they, they come and they stay. And um, you know, we don't preach at them at all. You know, the whole idea is that you just give them a home and you just love them, you're just kind to them. And um, the first night she came, um, we said grace, because we always say grace before a meal. And she said, oh, are you Christians? And we said, yes. And she said, oh, that's really, that's really interesting. You know, and that was pretty much it. She stayed again the next night. And the next night, um, she said, um, I've been talking to my, to my dad today about, about, about you, know, you being Christians. And we've been talking about Jesus. I said, oh, wow, really? And I thought, I'm not meant to say very much. I'm not meant to preach, so I'm not going to say very much. And she said, um, I used to have a Bible. I left it on a bus. I said, oh, well, you know, I've got a spare Bible if you'd like a Bible. Oh, can I? So I said, yes. So I gave her a Bible. And when I stuck my head around the door to say goodnight a bit later, she was on Genesis chapter 7, and she'd just been reading it through. We had a bit of a chat about some of those sticky patches in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, she said goodnight. And then she stayed again the next night. And the next night, um, James was out, so um, we got our pyjamas on. Got, I got Nigella ready, you know, and uh, we built a fire. And we were sitting there, and, and she just uh, turned to me and she said, I've just been thinking about the Bible all day, and um, I decided I want to be a Christian. Can, can adults get baptised? So I was like, yeah, you can. You can, you can get dunked, you know, dunked in the, in, in the, in the, in the pool. She's like, oh, great. And that's when I thought, she's serious here. I'm going to have to do something now. So I paused Nigella. And I turned around and I was like, are you serious? You want to become a Christian? And she said, yeah, I'm serious. So you can become a Christian right now if you like. 
And I had the privilege of just praying with Jenny right there and then that um, she could receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Uh, at just that moment, um, James came in with a, with a Christian friend, literally came into the sitting room just as we said, Amen. And I was like, meet your new sister in Christ. Isn't that kind of God? Kind of God to give me the opportunity that I'd asked for to bring someone into the kingdom when I was feeling discouraged. Um, and just so kind of God, really, to, to um, just accept her exactly as she was, as he's done for me as well. So I encourage you to <clears throat> find a ministry or find an outlet where you can really be kind to those people who, who can't pay you back. Quickly then, number nine. Kindness begins at home. What are you struggling with at home, with your family, with those people who are your nearest and dearest? Are you kind to them? Because that's where it starts. And if you're not, there may well be a blockage. And I just encourage you tonight to go to the back to see Rebecca and to get a form for Sozo Ministry. Sozo Ministry heals the hurts of the past so that they don't impact the present. And too many of us are living with the past impacting the present regularly, time after time after time. I have, and I've got free. Just recently, um, I saw somebody who'd had um, cognitive behavior therapy, and um, she'd also had Sozo. And she said, Sozo is so much better than CBT. CBT gets to where the problem is, but it doesn't do anything with the problem. Sozo finds the problem and heals it. That's what salvation is, healing. God is in the business of doing that. Let him Number 10, stay humble. Um, I learned this from Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was an amazing Christian woman who was involved in saving lots of Jewish people during the Second World War, and she hid them. And after the war, she traveled around telling people, preaching reconciliation. And she'd, she had a massive following. She constantly had people giving her compliments and plaudits for her work. And she said she learned to gather each compliment like a stem, a flower stem. And at the end of the day, she made a bunch of each stem, which represented each compliment. She made a bouquet of flowers and she put it at the feet of Jesus. She said, this belongs to you. This is what you have done. You've done this work. This is yours. And I think that's just a nice little way to stay humble. So very quickly as a summary... <clears throat> Uh, by nature, we're inconsistent what we believe and what we do. But the power to be consistent comes from the gospel. And that's our positioning. We're looking at the three Ps at the moment over these months. Our positioning is before the cross of Christ. Before the cross of Christ. Let that be the thing that we meditate on this Lent. Number three, we work out what God has worked in. That's the partnering. That's the partnership. It's us and God working at it together together. But there also will be a partnering with an accountability partner, perhaps, or a small group, a fellowship, as we ask them to keep us accountable in what we're working for. And finally, our good deeds are profitable. Our good deeds are profitable. Well, how? I'm an evangelist. You know, what do good deeds really do? I'm all about speaking. I'm all about telling people about Jesus. But no, the Bible says we have to do good works. They're the proof. They are the weight of our words. Back to Stephen, if we have that picture up finally of Stephen. I don't know whether you can notice that guy on the right. Does anyone know who that is? The guy on the right with the blue sleeve, with the handout. Does anyone know who that is watching? Saul. 
Saul was watching. He was the guy that persecuted the Christians. He had Stephen put to death. He had him flogged. He saw on that day the face that was like an angel. He heard Stephen not cursing those who were persecuting him, but blessing them. He'd have heard him say, don't hold this against them. Who knows how that fed in to the conversion of Saul when he became Paul, when he became one of the most amazing evangelists for the gospel we have ever seen. Stephen didn't know in his lifetime the impact he'd had on the most infamous persecutor of Christians the world has ever seen. You will not know the impact you will have by your simple acts of kindness. But we have faith in what the word says. We trust what God says. Our works are powerful. Our kindness is the weight of the word that we have and that we share. So let's stand. I'm just going to ask for that list of 10 to come back up. When you think about one of those things that we have talked about, the 10 things, I want to encourage you this Lent. Which one of those things, or perhaps there's something else that the Spirit has said to you tonight, are you going to commit to doing tonight? Which one of those things do you just know the Holy Spirit is just pressing into your heart to do? to live? Which one of those things is going to unblock a blockage to, to the kindness that you can show through Christ? Just have a little think for a minute or two. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and play um, a song, really, that ties in very much with number one. I've asked um, Fee to lead us in, in When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. As we just think about the cross, I want you to think about what, you're, what you'd like to commit to do over the next 40 days. <clears throat>